you'd open up your Bibles and turn to Galatians. Continuing in this new series in the third week of our time in Paul's letter to the church there. Look this morning at the second half of chapter 1. And the question from the text this morning is, is Paul's gospel the true gospel? It's an important question. It was an important question for the Galatians. It's an important question for us individually. Is the gospel that you have placed your faith and trust in, is is it the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's an important question uh, for us to ask collectively as a church, at Trinity Church, Are we teaching? Are we preaching? Are we resting in the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? And the implications of whether we get the gospel right are more far-reaching than you might think. One of the reasons that I chose Galatians right now, that we would go through it at this time, is that this year, 2017, is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, of an attempt to recover the true gospel. October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his very famous 95 Theses to the church door, the, the castle church door there in Wittenberg, Germany. And he and other church leaders at the time were attempting to recover and return to the true gospel. They wanted to abandon all of the changes that the church had made, all of the additions to the gospel that the church had made, to use terminology from last week if you were here, all of these distortions of the gospel, all of the ways in which the church had broken this gospel law of addition, again borrowing from last week, we're adding to the gospel leaves you with nothing. See, everything that the church had added to the gospel left them with something that was much more human than it was divine. And it's a very similar problem to what Paul faced in Galatia some 15 centuries before. So we're going to dive right into the text. I'd like to ask you to stand if you're able I'm going to read Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24. This is God's Word. For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, And tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born. And who called me by his grace. Was pleased to reveal his son to me. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. 
Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. May God be glorified as we study his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you help us? Would you help us to see clearly from the pages of Scripture the one true gospel? And in seeing it, might we see more clearly and more quickly all distortions of the gospel. May we see this true gospel that has a divine origin, and may we put aside all of our humanly conceived gospels. Would you leave us at the end of the day trusting only in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Please be seated. So when I think about the gospel, when I want to learn about the gospel, I've got a question about the gospel, I want to know how it works, I turn obviously to the Bible, but more specifically, I most often turn to Paul. I'll turn to Romans, that that great magnum opus of Paul's on the gospel. Or I'll turn to Galatians, the book that we're in right now. Or, Or I'll turn to Ephesians. Or maybe that glorious chapter in the middle of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, which is such an amazing chapter on the gospel. Or or perhaps Colossians 1. All of these gloriously rich passages and books that just ooze with gospel goodness. Written by the expert on the gospel. There are few in the church... And by church, I'm being a little narrow here. I'm thinking of church in the sense of people who would agree that God's Word is inspired and inerrant and and authoritative. That's the church I'm talking about. Few in the church who would disagree with the fact that Paul is an expert on the gospel. But have you ever wondered or asked yourself, why? Why is Paul such an expert on the gospel? What enabled him to write about it with such clarity and passion and detail and description? I had not thought about that until this week. I just sort of, he was just the expert. But I think that it has very much to do with how Paul received the gospel. And that's a topic that was hotly contested in the first century, at least by Paul's opponents it was, especially by the opponents advancing a false gospel among the churches in Galatia. And that's why Paul has to start out like he does in verse 11. So if you remember last week, Paul was pretty upset. And he he blew his top, if you will, in, in surprise and shock and astonishment. Now he's taken a deep breath, he's counted to ten, 
Because he says, for I would have you know, brothers and sisters. So he's, he's, he's simmering down a little bit. His tone is a little bit more familial. And what does he want them to know? I want you to know that my gospel is not man's gospel. You might have a footnote there that says that it means not according to man. The NIV says it's not something that man made up. The most literal translation would be the gospel I preached is not human. And so by Paul having to state this, we can infer that his opponents in attacking Paul and in attacking his credibility and in attacking his gospel, they've claimed that Paul was not the apostle he claimed to be. And they claimed that his gospel was off the mark. It was made up. He came up with it on his own. Or he got it from headquarters. He got it from those folks in Jerusalem who also got the gospel wrong. And so the essence of these opponents' accusation against Paul is that, you know what, he's nothing but a second-rate apostle with a second-rate gospel. And so I want to show you first off, sort of in a nutshell, what Paul's argument is here. How is he defending himself in order to defend the gospel? And so in verse 11, in a nutshell, you've got the crux of his argument. I would have you know, brothers and sisters, this gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. It is not a human gospel. Gospel, And he goes on to give throughout the passage several reasons. So let me just highlight those. It's not a human gospel, verse 12, because no man taught it to me. No man gave me this gospel. It was revealed by the risen Christ himself on the Damascus road, as mentioned in Acts 9. Also, verse 16 It's not a human gospel because he didn't consult with anybody. He received it. Jesus showed up on the Damascus road. And some might have said, oh, well, and he immediately ran off and conferred. No, he didn't. He didn't immediately consult with anyone. Verse 17, he didn't go to HQ and to see if this was approved or not. To see if this is allowed. He didn't. He didn't go and learn it from the rest of the apostles there. In verse 18, he does concede, yes. He's just trying to cover all his bases. Yes, I did go to Jerusalem, but it wasn't for three years. It was three years later that I went, and you know how long I went for? Two weeks, and you know who I saw? Two people. So he's trying to make this case, y'all, I didn't get this from any man. I didn't get this from any group of men. I didn't get it from the church in Jerusalem. I got it from Jesus. And he's so animated about it in verse 20, this little parenthesis you see in your scripture. It's it's an oath like you would take in a courtroom. I swear what I'm saying is the truth. And so there's the crux of Paul's argument. This is not a human gospel. I got it straight from Jesus. And so... In these verses, this whole second half of chapter 1, it's a little 
autobiographical, if you will. Paul's trying to make his case. And these verses could even seem a little boring or maybe, well, this isn't quite the important part of the letter yet. It's just some some places and some names and some travel details. But even as Paul shares that information, we get a better, clearer picture of what the gospel is all about and how Paul's gospel is in fact not a human gospel, but it is the one true gospel as revealed by the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we glean from these verses, from these travel details, from Paul's argument here, four things that we learn about the true gospel. You've got these listed in your outline in the worship folder. Number one, it takes the focus off of me and puts it on God. That's what the true gospel does. The true gospel also has real power for lasting and radical life transformation The true gospel moves us to bless others. A human gospel is not going to do that. And a true gospel brings glory to God and God alone. Let's dig into each of these. Number one, the true gospel takes the focus off of me and puts it on God. And there are multiple ways we see this truth from these verses. First, I want you to look at verses 13 and 14. This autobiographical part. Note how Paul-focused this thing is, all right? For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age and my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers, Paul, Paul, and Paul, and more Paul. But... There comes a shift. There comes a shift in verse 15. Another one of these glorious but God occurrences in Scripture. But when He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me. See, God set Him apart. God called him. God revealed the Son. All the action of the gospel is coming from God himself. It's his initiative. It's his plan. A plan that's been in place for a really long time. Longer than Paul's been in place. It wasn't in response to anything Paul had done. Paul's life was in shambles. And it's not that Paul finally, oh, oh, had some light bulb moment and figured it out and then turned to Christ. He didn't reason and reflect and arrive at the truth. It had to be revealed to him. It had to be unveiled for him. Paul wasn't looking for mercy. He definitely didn't deserve mercy. Mercy came and found him. And grace called him. Why? Why? In the middle of Paul doing what he was doing, why would God ever? And the answer is in verse 16. Because he was pleased to do it. Because of God's own good pleasure. 
That's why God saved Paul. That's why God saves any of us. Because it pleases him to do so. Because he's God. And he gets to do what he wants. He gets to do the thing that pleases him. And so the true gospel takes the focus off of me. And it puts it on God as the only actor, the only initiator of our salvation, number two. The true gospel has real power for lasting, radical life transformation. So in the midst of Paul's life of persecution, life of seeking to destroy the gospel. And he had quite a reputation for it, quite a track record, a Jew who zealously persecuted the church. Paul thought Christ was a fraud, a phony. Paul was brought up in the, brought up in the strictest part of the Jewish re- religion, and he was a superstar. He was filled with hate. He wanted to see the church destroyed. He had this reputation. It's a reputation that apparently took a while to recover from because when the Christians first heard, oh, well, Paul's turned to Christ. (laughs) Oh, I bet he has. (laughs) Right? probably thought that this was some terrible trick. You can read all about his activities in Acts. The things that he had been known for. But then verse 23, this was the gossip that was now being spread. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith He once tried to destroy. And it wasn't just a brief momentary change. There was apparently lasting change because the church eventually came to see, oh wow, it's it's for real. It wasn't a trick. It wasn't a joke. Now how in the world can we account for such radical transformation? We've got to go back to verse 16. See, God was pleased to reveal His Son to me. Now, if you've got the ESV like we're reading from today, there's a footnote that actually has the right translation there. He was pleased to reveal His Son in me. See, the NIV gets that right. The New American Standard gets that right. See, it's not reveal his son to me. That preposition there almost always means in. He was pleased to reveal his son in me. See, the radical transformation is possible because God didn't just reveal Jesus to Paul. Paul had already heard plenty about Jesus. And he rejected it. He thought Jesus was a fake. But then on that one glorious day on the way to Damascus, 
He met the risen Lord Jesus face to face, and God the Father, by means of the Holy Spirit, revealed the Son in Him. In Him. Does that make a little bit of sense in light of our time that we spent talking about what it means to be born again? Right? That we can have all this knowledge in our heads. We can know lots about Jesus. We can even know about the cross and the empty tomb. But until that moment that those truths get revealed in us, when that knowledge makes that ever so important 18-inch journey from our heads down into our hearts, until that happens, it was just facts. It was just knowledge that didn't make a bit of difference in our lives. But when they get revealed in us, then our lives get turned upside down. Then we begin to love what we used to hate. That's what happened to Paul. You know, it's so interesting here that Paul makes reference in verse 15 to God, setting him apart. Because the Jews made a big deal about being set apart. They saw themselves as set apart, but they saw themselves as set apart by their own adherence to God's law. By their own righteousness. See, that, my friends, is the essence of a human gospel. That's how you know if you've got a human gospel or the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because any gospel, little g gospel, false gospel, any world religion, anything that man can come up with, anything that says that you and your behavior are the deciding factors between heaven and hell, between being reincarnated in a higher state or reincarnated in a lower state, between you reaching nirvana or whatever the, I don't know what it is, annihilation, who knows. If you and your behavior are the deciding factor, that's a human, parenthesis, false gospel. But the true gospel says, oh yes, you need righteousness. Oh yes, there's a standard, there's an adherence to a moral law that is required. And guess what? You can't do it. You'll never measure up. You need righteousness, but it won't be your own. It will come from another And it's in the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we receive His righteousness. All the righteousness He perfectly fulfilled in His life, we receive. And we are made righteous over the course of our lives, transformed from the inside out by our faith in said gospel. That's the only way for there to be real, radical, lasting change. It's the only way for Paul. It's the only way for me and you. Number three, the true gospel moves us to bless others. So it's safe to say that Paul is blessed here. 
right? He is blessed by this amazing revelation of the risen Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road. But you see, that revelation was not an end unto itself. It was a revelation with a purpose. It was a revelation that came with a calling. God designed to make a preacher out of Paul, verse 16, a preacher of the very gospel he had spent his life trying to destroy. Now, here's a few things that I find interesting about this, about the true gospel and about how it moves us to bless others. The first is this. It can only be a God-centered gospel with real life-changing power that frees us up to focus on others. Now, why is that? First, if the gospel is about us and about our efforts, then we are either too self-absorbed with our greatness and how well we're doing, actually. Thank you for asking. And we're wondering why these schmucks over here can't seem to get their act together just from that prayer of confession that we prayed, right? If we're depending on ourselves, it's going to leave some of us arrogant because we're going to think, like Paul did, that he was advancing. (laughs) He was a superstar. But the rest of us, that prayer of confession even said, leaves us anxious and depressed. We are anxious We're constantly worried, have I dotted enough I's? Have I crossed enough T's? Is my behavior okay? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it doesn't measure up. Oh, gosh, I'm worried. Y'all, the focus is all on us, and we don't have any energy left to give to anybody else. we got nothing left to give because it's all directed on us. So that's the first thing I find interesting about the true gospel moving us, freeing us, to bless others. Because if our gospel focuses on a great God who saves rather than on us, and the, God, the great God who saves gives us the righteousness of His Son, then I can freely turn to my neighbor, neighbor. And the second interesting thing is what neighbors I can turn to. What neighbors was Paul called to? those nasty Gentiles, to those dirty, unclean, good-for-nothing Gentiles, the people he spent his whole life trying not to be like and trying to stay away from or they would make him unclean. So the true gospel is so powerful, we can even move out to bless others radically different from us. The third thing that I find interesting about this point, we cannot afford to miss how powerful this gospel is. It took somebody like Paul and made a preacher out of him, right? Paul was trying to destroy the church. but I don't want to talk to my neighbor about Jesus because they don't really seem interested in spiritual things. Or I don't want to talk to my coworker anymore about Jesus because there was this one time he made this snarky comment about the church. I don't think I can talk to them anymore. 
But are they trying to destroy the church? They might be a little hostile, but are they actively trying to destroy the church? Because even if they were, that wouldn't be a good enough reason not. Remember how powerful the gospel is. There are no lost causes. Number four, the true gospel brings glory to God and God alone. Only the true gospel does this. All other human, little g, in parenthesis, fake gospels, all the religions of the world invented by men, all the changes that the church had made prior to the Reformation, all the things that they added to the gospel, all these things, either intentionally or unintentionally, bring glory to man and not to God. There are all these additional laws to keep. Oh, congratulations, you're doing great. There are all these teachings to follow. My, what a good follower you are. All of these rituals to perform. What excellent compliance you have. Even some of the ways that that we distort the gospel. Even some of the ways that we make it about the strength of our faith. Or the dedication that we have to the Lord. How committed we are to Him. All these things give man something to point to and say, hey, I did that. I helped a little. It's got a little something to do with me. But only the true gospel leads folks to see the radically different Paul and say, ooh, only God could have done that. Only the power of grace could have changed a man like that. See, they saw that, and they didn't give accolades to Paul. They didn't give Paul the time of day, really. They saw Paul's life. They knew what it had been. They saw what it had become now that they finally are believing that it's for real. Glory to God. Glory to God. To God and God alone because only He could have, only he could have started that in eternity past. Only He could have set Paul apart before he was born and called him by his grace and radically changed his life. And only a great God like that will see Paul to the end and will see us to the end. True gospel brings glory to God and God alone. Let's pray. Oh God, may you be glorified. May you be 